This is Storage Unpacked. Subscribe at storageunpacked.com. This is Chris Evans with the Storage Unpacked podcast, and today I'm here with Prakash Darji from Pure Storage. Prakash, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, good to see you. It's a while since uh, we actually saw each other, actually. It wasn't just an audio discussion. It was actually a video discussion. But obviously, we're having a chat today because of some news you've got coming out. But before we do that, why don't you just give people a reminder of what you do within the company? Yeah, so I'm at Pure Storage. I'm the VP and general manager of our, our manager of our digital experience business unit, which generally is responsible for building our subscription business and moving people to an as-a-service consumption model. Excellent. So you have a set of announcements coming out today, and I just want to um, set the scene by going over those. If you could just give us a brief overview of what you're announcing, and then we can go into some detail on that, and we'll talk about the whole SaaS thing as well. But let's just start with a little, a little bit of background about the announcements. Yeah, the first one is this. We are introducing a concept called paid power in Rackspace, where as we're running and operating our storage as a service in customers' data centers, we're going to pay for the power and rack space we use because that's used to deliver and run and operate our storage as a service. So customers can get that as a upfront payment via cash or as a credit towards future purchases, depends on how the customer wants to consume it. But it is upfront based on you know what they uh, what they procure from us. So that's the first announcement. The second major announcement is how we're helping customers enhance their operations. So we're offering a set of new SLAs that do and guarantee what we've always been doing, zero data loss and no data migration, to help customers ensure that the value that they've been getting with Peer from our evergreen architecture, which is never migrate data again once you move to Peer, is something we're gonna put in our contract, give it teeth and you know guarantee into the future for our customers. And then the third major announcement is helping customers in this, you know world where there's a lot of disasters and ransomware and all of that, we're in introducing a new product line called Pure Protect DR as a service, which is a SaaS-based disaster recovery product for VMware environments to fail over and fail back from AWS. So that is the you know three major announcements we're announcing here uh, at Accelerate UK. Excellent. So we'll we'll dig down into some more detail on those. And I'm sure we'll have an awful lot to talk about. But first of all, let's just talk about Pure's SaaS strategy. This is something you and I have talked about quite frequently over the last few years. And you've taken me through a lot of the internal sort of presentation of stuff that's in Pure One. And I know that there's a huge amount of investment in this area. So just briefly, help, help everybody understand how much SaaS is important to you, both from delivery of, of hardware solutions, but also the, the operations management and everything else that goes around that. Yeah, you know, just as background, I've, this is the first infrastructure company I've worked for. Uh, you know, I come from a SaaS and a software background, having built and delivered SaaS solutions in the past. And there's three common attributes typically that you see. One is your software gets better over time. Two, your labor gets reduced over time, right? The way you think about Salesforce, for example, versus just running and operating your own CRM is you're not installing, patching, whatever. You get new Salesforce features continuously in salesforce.com and SFTC. 
right? So the that is what a SaaS solution is. Now, if you think about that as it applies to hardware, that third major point, how can you bring that same concept to hardware, right? And, you know, with companies like Nest and Roku and those types of companies that have these, you know, hardware connected hardware, that hardware is, you know, you do it and you get software updates and you get software innovation, but the hardware ten, tends to age from the point at which you buy it. So I think we're unique in the industry with this evergreen concept where your hardware continues to get more performant and capacity and energy efficient and dense over time. So hardware as a service is your hardware gets better over time. You're not stuck in time. Software as a service is you're updating and consistently getting new innovations. And a labor reduction means the number of people you need to run and operate and manage it, you know, per terabyte, FTE per terabyte, goes down every year. So how do we deliver that? Obviously, we use Pier 1 and, you know, IoT mechanisms and those types of things. But that is the heart and the essence of what we're doing with Evergreen. And everything we're talking about today is just accelerating those numbers. Okay, excellent. So you, you put me in mind of something, actually, when I, um, I was listening to that. And I was thinking of the... Uh, the phoenix in Harry Potter. So, um, if you remember, in the in the Harry Potter stories, the phoenix looks looks wonderful, and you know, after a certain length of time, it starts to look a bit untidy and messy, and then it catches fire and uh, grows grows back from the egg again. And when it comes back to life, it's all brand new and shiny. And and in some respects, that ref reflects the way that some vendors deliver their hardware. You know, you get a product that is in there for a while, and it you know it gets upgraded, and you put bits extra onto it, and it's all a bit slower in some places, and then suddenly they put another one on the floor, the old one gets taken away, and it, like the Phoenix, it comes back as the next generation all shiny until that process happens again. But actually, that's quite uh, invasive to, to your environment when you're doing that. You know, you want constant delivery, you want consistency you want your platform to be delivering you that constant experience through its lifetime not you know be reborn every three years and have to put a new one new one out there so i think the term evergreen actually fits that really well because it describes that constantness of the hardware which you know hardware as a service might sound odd but it's literally is what you're delivering yeah you know uh i like your harry potter analogy by the way you know and uh, you know, at some point, maybe I need to create some memes and visuals of like, you know, competitive boxes burning to birth anew, right? It yeah. would be a fun, fun kind of meme. But think about we all travel, we all jump on a plane. And sometimes you get a new plane, sometimes you get an old plane, sometimes you get something in the middle of its life cycle. And you know the difference, yeah. right? You can get the big screens, you can get the nice seats, you can get a plane that's 20 years old. It was just a different experience and you can feel the age. Now, hypothetically, imagine every time a new seat came out, Every Boeing plane just had a new seat, those new seats put in. And every time there was a new entertainment update, you just updated. So the fleet was continuously modern, right? Yep. That, and in a way where you're not waiting for the maintenance crews and delaying your flights, right? So yeah. that's, that's the approach we're doing. And, you know, it sounds kind of, um, you know, like it's bending the laws of physics a little bit, but, you know, that's what we did and have been doing for 10 years. Absolutely. So um, I'll point people to some of the um, links of stuff we've done in, in, in the past, some other um, discussions around this, because I think it's quite interesting to go back and look at that. The, well, there's a whole history of that, but obviously we're going to talk about your announcements today. Uh, and the first one I thought was really interesting. Um, so why don't you go back into the, a deeper dive of some of these announcements and start with the, the power one? Yeah, so paid power and rack 
We've been working on this for quite some time because this was a little bit of a, okay, if I do believe I'm a SaaS solution and I'm running the service, how do I take end-to-end accountability for it? And, you know, one of those things that while we're running the storage in a customer's data center, we need to run in their racks and use their power. So we started with, you know, this idea of like, let's take end-to-end responsibility. And then from, you know, a vendor mindset, I'm now incented to reduce my cost of running and operating storage, which means I'm now putting my money, my cost of running the service uh, in the the hand, like direct, this is direct cost for me, which means I do want to reduce my watts per terabyte and my, you know, rack units and all of that because it will help me save money on what it takes to deliver my service. So the way it works is one, when a customer for both Evergreen One and Evergreen Flex Whatever hardware we use to deliver our service, because you know we're delivering physical hardware into the data center at that point, we will calculate the number of rack units and the amount of kilowatt hours used over that lifetime, three years, one year, five years, whatever the commit contract period is, and pay that up front. Not over time, we're actually moving the money up front into the customer's hands, and they can choose to get it as a check right? Like a just direct payment for Mm -hmm. your facilities team, or you can choose to get it as a credit towards, you know, your future invoices. And the reason we did that is, you know, some, sometimes the CFO wants it and facilities budgets owned by finance. Sometimes the storage teams, you know, need it as a credit for running and operating the storage. So we offer customers flexibility in the payments. Now, if you follow energy rates, like it's all over the map and, you know, operationally, this was, you know, that one of the hardest things to figure out. So we procured the international energy agency rates by country. So we're using the IEA published rates by country and have a fixed rate per country that our hardware is deployed in. It's available any country that E1 or Evergreen Flex is available in, right? So it's in available. There's no like global limitations on it. And the rack units, we used a global average. We actually did a study with, you know, Equinix, Digital Realty, a bunch of like data center providers and did a global study and created a global average on a per rack unit cost. So if a customer is hypothetically running the service in a very efficient environment, that's lower than their country average, they could actually make money on this, right? If they're running in a higher cost uh, location, maybe it turns into a subsidy, right? But by and large, that's the approach we took. So it's not an operational overhead on our customers to like, go find your power bill, go do this, go do that. Like we just wanted to keep this simple and smooth for our customers and, you know, do this. And as far as I can tell, I think we're the first vendor that's ever thought about this or is doing anything in this way. I've never heard anything similar. I must admit, I don't recollect anybody else doing anything where they effectively gave you credit back for the power that it took to run somebody else's equipment in their in your data center. And I think that's ultimately what this comes down to. Uh, and and when I heard this, I thought, well, this is interesting because ultimately, if you think about how you operate something that belongs to somebody else that's running in your data center, the customer is not going to buy and own the technology potentially. That might be, you know, uh, an option they they could choose to do. But in general, the idea is that if you're doing something as a service, it's the vendor's hardware going in and the vendor will take that out at the end. So why should you pay for the operation of that 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 thing when you're running it? And compare it to, you know, how, say, something works in the cloud, 
the cloud vendors are not actually adding you a power cost on top of your bill that you get for running EC2 or anything like that. So why should you get it on premises? So, so I think when you look at it from that perspective, you can see that it, it does make a lot of sense. But I would imagine people might think, hang on, but is that really fair and equitable? And I think to a certain extent, I think it has to be because otherwise, how are you going to ever take out all of the things that are related to delivering a SaaS offering and trying to make it as, as equitable as you could possibly get? I think that this is one of the ways you, you know, you can achieve it. Yeah. And look, one of the things that we've always said is, you know, we've typically compared to competitive con configurations, you know, other flash systems were two to five X more energy efficient and rack, rack unit efficient and more than 10 X compared to disc. So as we're delivering our services, this is a place where we already had an advantage in terms of energy efficiency and capacity density, et cetera. And now for customers, especially, you know, we're launching this deliberately in Accelerate UK in Europe where energy is, yeah. is a challenge. We've had a number of people tell us we don't have space in our data center. And it's because there's a bunch of like old garbage running inefficiently that needs to be taken out. And this is a way of creating predictability and guarantees in terms of running in. So one of the SLAs we offer in conjunction with this is a watt per terabyte and a rack unit per terabyte, uh, terabyte uh, rack units per terabyte guarantee. So you have space guarantees and power guarantees in addition to us paying for the power and rack. So I think you've highlighted another, another point that's really quite important as well, and that's how the TCO calculations are important to get to you know to do across all of your equipment because as soon as you start looking at power nowadays and I've got a small environment I run and my power bill went up tripled I think the power bill um, in the last sort of eighteen months a significant increase well you do start looking at it and saying well how can we optimize what can we change what can we do and when it is such a large component of the cost you can't not go and look you know when it's a trivial cost or when somebody else is paying for it like it used to be 20 years ago when the facilities guys mm -hmm. had to do it deal with it and they didn't forward it on to you um you, you may not have been so careful but nowadays everybody's looking at sustainability they're looking at you know making sure they can demonstrate that they've actually followed a path to efficiency and if there's an opportunity to follow that path to efficiency you should be taking it so i i can see you know if from that perspective it's a very very positive move Okay, brilliant. So let's move on. Next, you talked about SLAs just a moment ago, actually, Prakash. So let's talk about the new SLAs that you're offering. What's coming out as part of this announcement? Well, you know, the first one, and, and I think uh, effectively the most important one, is uh, no data migration guarantee. Now, over the last, you know, 10 years, we've seen a 73x improvement in power uh in density and capacity density like rack unit and you know capacity density seen like a 13x improvement in watts per terabyte like you know massive kind of improvements and we've been able to deliver that with no data migration since our history since the beginning someone started with an fa320 they could end up on you know an excel right now even with the chassis change with no data migrations it's like you know, we've never had a disruptive event that required a data migration. Once you buy Pure, you will, it will be the last data migration you do. And we've consistently, and, you know, our competitors were like, hey, you know, it's just a matter of time till Pure breaks their promise because every other, you know, vendor makes you do forklift upgrades or, you know, 
gets rid of one piece of their portfolio, does an acquisition, makes you move to the new thing. Like, you know, I think every major vendor has done that a few times. So we've not. And we're confident in it in that we will never have to. So with our no data migration guarantee, we're putting it in the terms and conditions. We're so, going to guarantee you, guarantee you it in the future. And if we do, you'll get a service credit for the last year of your Evergreen Forever subscriptions, right? Like we're going to go whole hog, put our money where our mouth is and guarantee you'll never do it again. So first of all, I'm very disappointed in this one because I used to make a lot of money by doing migrations for people as a consultant. <laughs> so, you know, you've just taken away what used to be a huge, um, huge amount of my work. Actually, I don't do that anymore. So I'm not actually that bothered. But I, I genuinely, you know, used to spend weeks, months, years doing those sort of migrations. And I can say from experience, they were tedious, they were time consuming, they were costly, and they were risky. You know, the, the most important one of the lot for me, the, the risk factor. So going to something where I, I don't have to do any migrations is, a, you know, absolute revelation, to be honest. And to, for you to have done it over the time period you have is quite interesting. So I was doing something else recently, looking up and comparing um, equipment. And one of the things I noticed in, let's say, the last 20 years, we've gone from 42U rack equipment that weighs, you know, two tons, takes however many kilowatts of power and all the rest of it. And you can now deliver that in a single SSD that weighs about 10 grams. Now, to think that even if you've done half of that as a migration process of allowing people to migrate from one platform to another, that shows you how quickly and how radically the technology has changed. So to be able to say that you can still do an upgrade in place and not affect that person is quite a feat. So, you know, you have to look at it, I think, in those contexts to realize how important that really is. Yeah, there's two, look, and there's two different elements in that context, right? And one is a labor element, like you mentioned, the tediousness. And it's interesting, I saw that, you know, 50 years ago, if you bought a car, the manual showed you how to change the valves. Yeah. And now the manual in a, like, I've actually seen this, the manual in a car says, don't drink the battery fluid. Yeah. Right? That's, we've gone from that to that. And I would argue, you know, 10 years ago, we were having conversations about RAID configuration. We don't let you choose RAID or like, you know, that's not where you want to be spending. Now, some of our competitors are still there, but like, that is not where you should be spending your time from a labor efficacy standpoint. And we would put data migrations in that same category, right? Is it's not worth the time, effort and labor and the risk, as you mentioned. So there's that element. But the other piece is because Evergreen allows you not to like run and like, you don't have to run your asset five years, let your performance and capacity degrade and run your Phoenix process that you mentioned earlier. You can continuous, continuously get better over time by you know, upgrading your performance and upgrading your capacity. We're on a roadmap you know, where we announced our Flash Array E family, which is a 75 terabyte drive. Yep. You know. Um, we have, you know, and published a roadmap over the next three years of 150 and 300 terabyte drives, single drive, right? So if you think about that innovation of capacity, energy, density, that type of thing, um, we've enhanced an, our trade-in programs for both controllers and data packs where you can actually move faster as well with this announcement to those things all non-disruptively with zero data loss guarantees and no data migration guarantees. So this is all in the idea of how does hardware as a service not get better over 10 years, 
but get a, get better over continuously. Yeah. Right. So constant, like, constant, um, constant improvement, constant um, change that improves at the same time, but you know, doesn't impact the way that you're delivering the service to the end user. More importantly. Yeah. So, you know, SaaS companies many years ago used to do updates maybe quarterly. I know Pier 1 right now, we update every Tuesday and Thursday to production. Like, that's that's our velocity. It's hard. See, you know, so that's, you, know you, you think of that, and it's hard to imagine that that could be even possible because, again, you look at the effort that used to be involved in doing um, platform upgrades on storage systems. You know, you, you wouldn't just wouldn't do it without huge amounts of um, engineering time set aside and testing and stuff like that. So, you know, I think there's one thing to be able to deliver it. And then there's another one to actually guarantee it. So, you know, there are t those two, the two sides of it, a very similar coin, but also very different. So, you know, you, you highlighted that if you can't do something, people will get service credits. How does that fit across the whole of your service level guarantees that you're offering? The no data migration guarantee applies to all Evergreen, Forever, Flex, and One customers, right? That's not just limited to Evergreen One. We've made it available to all of our Forever, Flex, and One customers. So that's uniform across our Evergreen portfolio. And, you know, on your software upgrade piece, we introduced this concept last year called self-service upgrades, where, you know, you can go in in Pure One and just trigger an update to your so uh, arrays, right? Just done because our evergreen architecture has no IOPS or performance downtime or, you know, uh, anything while you do an upgrade, you can just push updates. Now with this announcement, we're also including policy driven upgrades where okay. you can choose and, and that you want these arrays to only get critical patches. These, these arrays to be on your stable iOS version, so to speak, or these arrays to get, you know, your new features with which, you know, purity and flash arrays getting about monthly updates now from uh, like just brand new features, right? And the feature release branches are about monthly and, you know, FA. So you can choose your velocity, you can choose your policies on which arrays you want the new features, which arrays you want on, you know, your stable software, long live release cycles, and which ones you want, just everything send patches over, right? And customers get to own their policies and we can dri drive the policy driven upgrades. So this is all about taking out that labor. And and I've seen some of the um, screenshots on that. And the one thing I really liked about uh, the things I've seen are the fact that you're very clearly highlighting patches that are security focused and others that might in bring in new features and enhancements. And I like that because it means that I can be absolutely 100% sure that if all you're going to deliver me is a, is a patch for a security issue, I'm not going to go back in and find something's changed that I was familiar with or comfortable with in terms of the, you know, the feature set. So, and it's amazing how many times you see something, especially in the Windows environment, you'd, you'd, you'd see something roll out and you think, oh, I'm patching this because of security. And then like an option goes missing or it, it's been <laughs> rewritten completely differently. So having that confidence that you're literally only delivering me security patch upgrades in my production platforms where I, you know, I need mission critical sort of reliability in terms of not touching anything in process. I think that's really important too. And having that level of granularity is essential. Yep. Okay. So SLA is great. So, you know, um, actually what I'll do is we have, um, I think a slide which shows a lot more of your SLAs. So we'll publish that as well to show how you've expanded the SLA. Uh, range of SLA, shall we say, and we'll put that in the show notes so people can have a look at how that um, it has been expanded with the two new ones. But let's now talk about 
the the final option and that is dr as a service which is in a certain respect a little bit of a diversion for the company because you know everything you've done so far is, has been focused on primary unstructured data the cloud versions of that so so offering a backup service is a slight departure from what you normally do yeah uh so yes and i want to the first thing i want to do is make sure that like people understand that you know backup and dr are two different things right people mm. use backup solutions for backup etc but the point of dr is when something happens like earthquake comes and my data center goes down i need to transparently fail over and get back up and running immediately somewhere else and fail back like the idea of dr and the major focus of dr is fail over fail back lose no runtime that is not the focus of backups that's not what backups are used for so you know backup and dr are separate spaces now to do this is actually pretty hard like dr is one of the most complicated tasks from a networking applications etc so yes it's absolutely a departure from the things we've been doing in storage so as we decided you know why did we decide to do this was one as you know we mm -hmm. just we're focused on what customers are needing and as we take a look at cyber attacks and man-made disasters and natural disasters and like there's just an increasing need to bring the pure simplicity to that environment and okay. we thought we could do it better than anything we saw out there so okay. it's built for vmware we focused on vcenter first a lot of our customers when we were talking to them didn't have a secondary data center or environment to set up and fail over to and fail back to etc so we decided to make the target first the cloud we've used aws as we were talking to customers they did definitely said hey as i'm going there how do you get me to amazon native as much as possible so as part of our dr solution we actually convert the vmware uh, to amazon ec2 native ami format where it doesn't require VMware in the target. It actually allows you to bring it yep. up as, you know, in the cloud native, you know, EC2 environment and has transparent failover and fail back when you're, you bring your data center up. So customers have this assurance and we've created policies where they can control their RTOs and RPOs from a cost standpoint, because if you want it always on in a low RTO, you know, you're paying more to keep that environment, you know, pre-ready, right? If you, hey, are willing to, on a failover or catastrophic event, take a little bit longer, then you can save a lot of cost because the cloud allows you to run it on standby, right? So all of those policy decisions are in the hands of a customer, but this works and is transparent across storage. It's not tied to, I need a flash array, flash blade, you know, Dell storage, NetApp storage. It's not tied to storage. It's tied to disaster recovery, of which storage is a part, right? We can look at storage optimizations in our roadmap in the future, right? Um, there's definitely a better together story with Pure, but we approach this with a customer first mindset around something that we generally saw was a white space here. Yeah, so I'd, I'd point out a couple of things here. So first of all, I agree with you entirely, DR, backup and DR, they're two members of the same family, but they're not directly, you know, related in the sense that you, you can't substitute one for the other. Fair enough. All understood. The interesting thing I'd say about DR today as it compared to DR as it was done 10 or 15 years ago was DR 10 or 15 years ago was generally between physical machines, as in physical servers from to physical server. So usually you replicated the storage. 
because the storage was the lowest common denominator into which you could actually ensure the data was consistent when you replicated it. As we've moved to um, a virtual market, a virtual world, and obviously at some point towards containerization and, and a bit more, that abstraction is pushed up a little higher. So obviously a, a virtual machine, its storage could be on your your solution. It could be a part of a data store. It could be something else. So now the replication of the data store makes little sense to replicating that application because you don't know what else would be going with that data store. It could be a lot more data that you move with that. And it doesn't necessarily make it easy to replicate somewhere else because that's a physical aspect of replication. So as we protect into the cloud, people might be thinking, well, it's pure storage. Why are they not replicating the storage? Well, for that exact reason, because when you replicate virtual machines, you're replicating the application, the virtual image. You're not replicating a physical piece of storage anymore. So that sort of makes logical sense when you think about it. Um, I guess for me, the, the interesting thing is to, to think where it goes next in terms of whether this becomes something that you then connect into Portworks because Portworks has got its own backup scenario. You know, then you get a DR with that and, you know, whether you'll be able to do this with some of the unstructured data. There's, I guess there's lots of opportunities for you to expand the service out. Oh, yeah, like that's that's the fun debate we're having now. And obviously, we're going to listen to our customers, right? So, you know, this is the first version we're introducing to market. We've had some customers say, hey, my, I want to focus on cloud dedupe, of which case maybe we'll make CBS a target, like our cloud block store, to help, you know, with the dedupe. We've had some customers say, hey, I want to run this natively for both VMs and containers, at which we do have a product in Portworks Backup, PX Backup, yeah. that we can integrate with for with DR workflows. So that, you know, that's a secondary thing that we're evaluating. The third one, you know, which is something you brought up is, well, we know that moving data at the storage layer and storage replication is way more efficient than, you know, the application copy mobility. So could we detect when it's pure storage and delegate data movement? So here you have both application and storage consistency yep. in one, you know, data mobility path for DR. That is also a future optimization we could look at, right? So the number of things that, you know, we're, uh, that we could do and accelerate on this product path are large and we're committed to, you know, following kind of where customers needs and how they deploy and those types of things. Because, you know, I think this is as much as we'd like to say DR has been around forever. Why hasn't it ever been mainstream? And, you know, as I was researching the market, it was like weeks of months of multiple teams and coordination to try to set these things yeah. up, right? If I demo this product to you, I can set up your DR environment in five minutes with network load balancers and VPCs and you know what I mean? I do. Like yeah. we, we've made that pure simple. So two things on that. First of all, I used to do a lot of DR um, and yeah. DR was... DR was always very interesting because in most of the places I worked, we got the physical storage layer down to replication in minutes. And, you know, so you'd, you'd plan an eight-hour test and we'd press a button. Failover would occur yeah. and we'd, we'd have it done in like 30 seconds to do failover. And then you hand over to the application teams and three hours later, they're still trying to work out how to bring the application up and why something isn't quite right. And so replication at the storage layer, dead simple. Replication at an application layer took a lot more work. So that, you know, that I think that's quite important to sort of recognize that things have definitely come on. Second of all, I have actually seen a bit of a demo of this. So, okay, perfect. And, and, <laughs> and I just wanted to raise that as, a, as a, an interesting topic, because the first thing I, was, I, would, I would say with any of these sort of things is, okay, 
it's a first generation one product i'm going to be a bit skeptical i want to see how it's installed and how it's how it's done and this is all done through pure one so the the, the demo that i saw basically you go into the portal you you click a few buttons that put the um the necessary virtual instances in place to to do the replication at a data mover level but once you've done that you're you're away and you're, you're running and that's probably a, a great sort of place to sort of return to this whole SaaS thing because it sort of emphasizes the whole SaaS nature of what you're trying to do so this is dr as a service and it is delivered out of your portal and as a customer you're just literally pushing some software to make it work but ultimately it's still another service that is in that pure one um, environment it also becomes trackable within the same infrastructure the same ecosystem you know so when you're reporting on primary storage i'm sure you'll be able to demonstrate that somebody has taken a backup of something you know those sort of reporting tools will be in there i'm so sure at some point and i think that ultimately that for me was the most interesting thing is how everything is coming out of that one portal everything is coming to, down to that one management interface that allows you to see your entire environment yeah like pure one is how you run and operate and manage your SaaS environment, right? So even though DR as a service is a separate product, why would, you know, we built it on the Pier 1 platform. We uh, deploy it into Pier 1 so customers, you know, if they just have that capability, they get that capability in Pier 1. And you get the benefit of things like virtual machine analytics that tell you read, write IOPS. Like we introduced VMA many years ago, kind of the mean time to innocence problem between VM admin and storage admin. Right? Whose problem is it? How do you isolate it? Is it a VMware problem? Is it a storage problem? Like that thing is, you know, taken off like wildfire. And now that you know we're doing this, you can apply any of those VMA diagnostics to these workflows. Yeah. So you know those those things all come together and make sense together. Like I don't see, you know, and and I do think you know the anti SaaS world is people, we you know. Like there used to be a world where you'd have a portal and build a, you know, a wrapper with a bunch of iframes around seven or eight different products to try to make it look like something. And, you know, there's a ton of vendors trying to do that. We've got 17 products that grew up in different things and acquisitions, Mm -hmm. and they're all website URLs that I put in portal iframes, but there's no consistency of running and operating. So when you start with a SaaS mindset, you know, you start experience down, not product line up. Right. And, you know, that's that's the mindset we're starting with. We start with the user experience. So I think that should be our takeaway for today, that whole SaaS and user experience, because that's what the announcement's all about. So in terms of this being SaaS, when will this be available? When can people go and try it out? You know, we're talking about the announcement today, but how long before this will be available for people to use? This month. So uh, end of the month, everything will be available October 31st for DRAS is our uh, target date. Um, so, and, you know, I'm sure my, my, you know, teams are probably upset that I just said that, but yes, <laughs> it's October 30, 30, 31st, right? We've been in beta for quite some time. We've right. been running with a bunch of customers. Feedback has been great. So this is something we've been working on for quite some time and all the other SLAs are, you know, going to effect on the announcement on October 10th. So, you know, outside of DRAS, it's now, right? We're not, announcing things that are coming two years into the future. Fantastic. Well, Prakash, it's been great to catch up. I'm These announcements are fantastic to hear. We will make sure that we put lots of links for people so they can go and find details of all these different services without having to dig around. I'll make sure we get, as usual, put the links in the show notes. But, you know, for now, it's been great to catch up with you. I really appreciate your time. And 
look forward to these services going in and finding out what the next thing is going to be in the future. But for now, Prakash, thanks for joining me. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Storage Unpacked. For show notes and more, subscribe at storageunpacked.com. Follow us on Twitter at Storage Unpacked or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Storage Unpacked Podcast. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.